Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Dear Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Hello, and welcome to another mini episode of Dear Prudence. I'm your host, Danny M. Lavery, and this show is for you, our Plus subscribers. Our guest this week is performer and writer Natalie Walker. She's contributed to Vulture, The Cut, and Book Forum, and can be found on stage at 54 Below, Ars Nova, and Joe's Pub. Her television credits include and are limited to Search Party and BoJack Horseman. And now here's our first letter. Okay, we'll move on to this next question. Um which is kind of also about like, what do you do with stuff? What do you do with old family stuff, but on a really different scale? So the question here is uh, historical value or just trash? Dear Prudence, is there any historical, not monetary, value to racist memorabilia? My great grandfather ran off in the middle of the night, leaving two kids and a pregnant wife to fend for themselves years ago. My great-grandmother packed up all his stuff and put it in the attic. There it stayed until my grandfather died, and my mom and I had to clean the place out. It turns out that my great-grandfather was in the clan. We found robes, books, letters, and other paraphernalia folded up neatly, packed away in suitcases, along with his other clothes and belongings. We weren't under any illusion that he was a good person, but it was still a shock. Nobody could decide what to do with it, so we packed it back up and set it aside. Now these boxes are in my attic, and it weighs on my conscience. Aside from the hate they represent, they give me nightmares, and I want to be rid of them. Can I burn them? That would be my preference, but a few of my cousins insist that this stuff could be valuable to someone or some place that studies racism. Part of me also worries it's self-serving, like destroying evidence of my family's wrongdoing erases any responsibility we had for it. What do you think? It might help if we answer that last question first, um, which is, I feel like, destroying this um would be self-serving i don't i don't think that that's true i i don't think that the only response to learning that your long dead great grandfather that you never met was in the clan is i have to keep boxes of his clan shit in the attic to atone i i don't think that that is what is being asked of you or or rather if there are people who are asking it of you like within your family that's not how atonement works that's not how like collective redress for the KKK and Jim Crow and the history of slavery like need to be worked out. So I I think you can just let that one go. The question of are there places that like quote unquote document, you know, the racist history of the United States? The answer is yes. For example, there is the Jim Crow Museum of Racist Memorabilia. Um, there, There are you know, you could potentially contact the Smithsonian, do research on other um, archivists and museums that do work with these kinds of materials. Again, with a very clear eye towards documenting and contextualizing racist history rather than someone who just wants to like personally snap up a lot of like racist memorabilia and is kind of like waffly about it. I think that would be the one thing you would really want to avoid. But I also think that would just be super clear, right? Yeah. It seems like this person, their intentions are very much in in the right place. And I don't, as long as you're not like hitting up eBay saying like, who wants this clan, vintage clan stuff? 
my inclination would be to first reach out to museums and archivists. And if none of the leads seem worthwhile, then I think burn it. I, yeah, I think get, get rid of it. Yeah. You, you don't need to carry around the sins of a person you never met. Yeah. I I, I think that that's the right thing to do too. Like either it will be useful to museums of racist history or they will say, no, we have a lot of this stuff. At which point it just becomes like some more racist garbage. You know, if it's not going to be useful at teaching and exhibiting history, then there's no value to just like, oh, well, I better hang on to it because it will help me be more ashamed of my relative. Um, and if your cousins object to it, you know, let them object. You don't have to persuade them that you did the right thing. Um, you can just say, it was in my fucking attic and I think it's evil and none of the museums I contacted could use it. And at, th- at that point, the decision became really clear and really easy. If you still at that point are experiencing just like lingering guilt or distress about your own family's connection to the clan, you know, look into organizations that you can make a donation to that like fight the lingering effects of Jim Crow and the KKK's work in the 20th century and and use that as an outlet to channel um, some of that guilt rather than keep those boxes there so that you can always feel bad. All right, we'll move on to the next one, which is also fire-related. Yes. The subject is out of the closet into the fire. Dear Prudence, my little sister is gay. I have known since she was 14. She has been dating her best friend, Kenna, on and off since high school. Our parents didn't know. My sister didn't want to tell them until she graduated college. She's come out to her parents and told them that she's now dating Kenna. They are happy for her, but upset with me. They think I owed it to them to warn them about Kenna because of the sleepovers, shared vacations, and letting them be roommates. They would never have let me share a room with a boyfriend, let alone sleep in the same bed. My parents tell me they would have treated my sister, quote, exactly like me. I'm frustrated with them and don't know how to talk to them about it. I'm worried about letting this leak over to my sister. Help. This one is such a classic. Natalie, I don't know if you're familiar with this dynamic. I get a lot of letters along the lines of, Either I or a sibling or another relative just came out. Everyone's fine with it, except for this. And it's like, we don't care that you came out. We think it's great. It's just this other thing that makes us so mad. And it seems to me like a really obvious displacement. Like they are absolutely mad that that someone came out, but they just know at this point that it's not polite to say so out loud in most cases now. So they try to say like, oh no, it's this other thing. Does that seem true to you? Yeah. Yeah. It's just the the thing of like, why well, I don't I don't want my daughter having sex. I don't. That's that's the gross thing. And it's like, okay, well, let's talk about like allowing young women to develop a healthy relationship to sex in the first place. But like, for most parents, the reason that they're like, I don't want my daughter going out and having sex is that they're worried like they're going to their promiscuity is going to lead to drinking driving other behavioral issues or getting pregnant too early and so it's like well your daughter is unable to get pre- that daughter will not be getting pregnant too early because of this and like she 
came out great. Like we've already gone over the phase where you could have rightly been mad about this stuff. And she was in your house. She was in your house. She wasn't like going out to gay bars all the time underage at like 15 with Kenna. Like they were doing it under your, it's just, yeah, it, it feels like a very bizarre. Yeah. They're mad that your sister came out. That's part of the reason your sister said, I want to wait till I'm done with college to come out to them. And it's homophobic. Um, And like, I think the obvious question is like, do you think there's any way they could have made different decisions about sleepovers aside from being informed that their daughter was dating a girl? Like, I think they're trying to blame homosexuality for something that like, compulsive heterosexuality is responsible for, which is you, they, your parents apparently raised two children without ever thinking, how would we want to handle things like sleepovers or trips together if one of our kids was gay or bisexual or otherwise queer? Because don't you think they could have asked themselves that question without someone saying, Psst, mom and dad, one of your kids is gay? Yep. It's all, it's very... Very uh, history revisionist. Yeah. Stance. Yeah. Yeah. It is not your fault that your parents never asked themselves the question, what if one of our kids was gay? It is also not your fault that you didn't rat out your sister for being in a gay relationship in high school. Um, and you can tell your parents to kiss off. Yes. And, you know, I get that you're worried about letting this leak over to your sister. And I understand that you wouldn't necessarily want to go to her with this if you didn't feel that you had to. But also, like, if they are really relentless about this and part of the reason she's kept them at arm's length is because of their homophobia, I don't think it's going to come as a shock to her that they're being shitty about this. And I think you can say, you know, mom and dad have been really hammering the fact that they believe they had a right to know before you came out. Like, they're mad that um, you didn't out her and you don't have to concede that ground. You can say, I'm not mad that I didn't out her. You had every opportunity to think about the possibility of gay kids. Yeah. Don't blame me for your lack of imagination as parents. Yeah. All right. Last question. It's uh, something. Ooh. Would you read it? Yes. Subject. Husband's vasectomy making me paranoid. Dear Prudence, my husband has been working in another state for several months due to a unique job opportunity. I see him about one weekend per month. He is living with his elderly parents and helps out around their house. If his job survives the pandemic, our plan is to sell our house and for me to look for a job in that area too. My husband has never wanted children and has always been very proactive about birth control. Recently, he brought up getting a vasectomy. I think it's his choice, but I'm now in my late 40s and we're only seeing each other about one weekend a month. If we even wanted children, we'd have to see a fertility specialist. I was discussing this with my best friend and she asked pointedly about recent changes to my husband's appearance. He's lost weight and started doing his hair differently. She seemed to be implying that this all was very suspicious and maybe I am not the one he is worried about impregnating. This had never occurred to me, but now I can't get it out of my mind. What do I do? I brought this up with my husband and he denies any affairs, but I find myself thinking about this all the time. It's a loop that won't stop playing in my head. I don't want to hound my husband or make him prove his loyalty. How would that even work? So what do I do? You know, I I, I don't, 
have the same confidence that the letter writer's friend does that he's probably having an affair. Do do you, I mean, I, I can see why somebody would say, you know, suddenly talking about a vasectomy, sudden change in appearance, sudden new hairstyle, but do you see that as quite the same smoking gun? Do you think I'm I'm underreacting? I don't. I I don't see it as the same sort of smoking gun. I think there's reasons for this that are could be completely related to a new job opportunity and being in a different state of just sort of like that rejuvenating a person and and making them want to make other changes in their life of of various things. Maybe he had always been wanting to lose a little weight. Maybe he had always wanted to do his hair a little differently. And now this new job opportunity that has taken him elsewhere has sort of made him, has motivated him to start doing those things. Um, I don't think it has to be necessarily tethered to an outside desire um, at all. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had the same thought, which was like, the guy's been working in another state, barely seeing his wife, he's helping out his parents around the house. Lots of this weight loss could be the result of like stress or, mm. uh, you know, work, doing a lot of housework or kind of the anxiety of caring for his parents. Um, and, and, you know, he's got a lot more free time because he's not able to be with his wife. So, Again, like, you know, I've often shaved my head just out of a sense of boredom. So I really relate to that. Yeah. You know, because you don't say anything like my husband's become really distant lately or he's avoiding me or mm. he's always on his phone, like grinning. And I, I know he's calling somebody when he thinks I'm asleep. Like then I would maybe feel more like, OK, that there's there's reason to feel like he's at the very least pulling away and not being honest about why. But if your communication is otherwise pretty good and he's being in pretty regular contact with you and you've asked him and he has said no, I, I think the best thing you can do there is just say like, I trust my partner unless and until I have reason to think that he's lying to me. I'm going to keep trusting him. And, and I just think that you're, you know, again, it makes sense to me. Like I, I think oftentimes times of crisis, people will kind of arrive at a sort of clarification of what they want or a goal that they have, especially when it comes to having children or not having children. And I can imagine part of what might feel, I don't want to get like too far down this road, but like it might actually feel a little bit empowering to him to say like, I know the odds of us getting pregnant suddenly right now are pretty low, but this has just reminded me that like life is short. I'm really committed to not having children. It's a relatively straightforward procedure. I would like to mm. get it done. Yeah. And, you know, if he was really trying to cheat on you and hide it from you, I don't think telling you I'm going to get a vasectomy is the way he would do it. I think he would just get a vasectomy and then not see you for three weeks and recover from it and not share it with you. I'm trying to think if there's any other ways that he could. Yeah, I, I think that's what he would do. I think you can actually probably take the conversation about the vasectomy as a sign that he wants to talk to you about it. Yes. But yeah, I just think your goal of, I don't want to make him prove his loyalty. I don't even know how that would work. I, I think that's the right instinct. I think if you try to follow that road, um, you'll end up driving yourself absolutely nuts. And, um, you know, just remind your husband that you love him and you miss him. And one of the things that's hard about being apart is you're not always there for 
little or even medium changes in his life or his routine or what he wears or how he presents himself. And that's part of what's hard about being apart. Yeah. And also maybe check in with him about the changes in his appearance. I mean, I it's sort of symptomatic of a fat phobic culture that when someone loses weight, we immediately think like, oh, now they're hotter. They're making themselves hotter. When, as you said, Danny, like it could very well be just stress and weight falling off from of from the stress of this moment and his specific role in it, caretaking for his parents. And maybe he needs to be checked in with about how he's actually holding up because you're only seeing each other one weekend a month and he's in this new new situation in a in a very stressful time um maybe he's trying to hold it together in in a lot of ways and needs to talk about it a little bit more right yeah that that like the moment with the the friend felt a little bit like it just felt a little bit dated. It felt very like, yeah, I, I could picture that conversation happening in sex in the city. And Samantha being like, Oh honey, no man ever changes his hairstyle unless he's getting a new car. <laughs> I'm just glad we got an excuse to get you to try to do one of the sex in the city voices on this show. That's really all. I <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was what I was really waiting for. It was like, will it be this one? Will it be the Confederate? Mem- will it be the KKK memorabilia? No. Good um, instincts there. Yeah. 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 I think that's it. That's all I got. It does not sound like your husband is cheating on you. It sounds like your husband is trying to get through an incredibly difficult situation with as much as his uh, sanity intact as he possibly can. And and you should both go easy on yourselves. And um, same thing as the friend slash colleague in the earlier letter who said that, you know, telling students, I hope you can find support from your loved ones is too personal. I just think in both of these cases, your friends are not giving you the best or the only possible advice. That's our mini episode of Dear Prudence for this week. Our producer is Phil Circus. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. As always, if you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR. That's 3327, and you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location. And at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short. 30 seconds, a minute tops. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 